Hey guys, the show is about ready to start, but really quick, I wanted to grab your attention, tell you to have a pencil and paper ready. I have some very important information you're going to want to stick around for after the show regarding updated contact information, websites, and more. Everything's changed. Holy cow. What do I mean? Everything's ready to start. I gotta run. Stick around after the show and I'll get you filled in. Welcome to this podcast. Get ready. Here we go. GOST Radio proudly presents Random Illusions, the podcast where the occult community goes for its listening pleasure. I'm your host, Shasta Ray. Grab a cup of coffee, grab a cup of tea, or grab a glass of wine at the end of a long day if that's what you want to do. Kick back, settle in, and hang out with me for just a little bit while we chat it up about magic. Hey there, magical friends and magical family. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 15, and we have something really, really amazing this week. It is a two-part series that you guys have been asking for. In fact, you've been chomping at the bit for this one. I have been having people go, where is it? I haven't even published it yet. So anyway, without further ado, you know what? I think actually this week I'm going to discourage you from that cup of coffee cup of tea or glass of wine. And what I really want to do is encourage you to kick back, settle in, and join me and Nineveh Shadrach for some gin and tonic. Let's just get right into it. All right. So listener base, we have someone really special in the virtual studio tonight, and his name is Nineveh Shadrach. And he is coming to us from the other side of the planet. Oh, my gosh. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got so knowledgeable about the gin and a little bit about your background. Okay. We kind of did change questions here, but all right. Well, my background is... Then we can go into what you were going to say. Just slide right in. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, it's actually kind of all connected, but in any case, my background is really very simple. I'm... uh, I'm a geeky kind of guy who was born in Saudi Arabia. My dad was an engineer who was working for the government. His corporation that he set up with his Saudi counterpart is one of the largest and richest manufacturing or, or engineering companies in the Gulf. If, he's, if he was still alive, he'll probably be, you know, not worth equivalent of Donald Trump. <laughs> his, his partners are all billionaires, some of the richest people in wow. Saudi Arabia. And all emerged out of the company he, was, he had originally built. My interest in, in the gin or in magic in general uh, didn't really start like most people would start. Uh, a lot of people would uh, get exposed to it in the television or media and then maybe go into the bookstores and start looking for witchcraft books or new age books or their friends be doing it. And then they'll go over there and then they'll investigate it on their own and kind of get hyped or on the internet to find things. Um, growing in Saudi Arabia, magic is not something that you will find, or even the jinn, uh, in popular culture, really. It's um, classified as a punishable crime. Wow. 
So anybody who dabbles with subject will expect to basically have his head severed from his body wow. in short order. And they do that every, every weekend. Uh, every Friday, they will bring people who have uh, been caught dabbling in anything to do with the occult or with the jinn, if, if they're caught with that too. And then they will just execute them. That is so, scary. How long did you live there? How, to what age did you move away from there? Uh, I moved away when I was around 17. I came okay. to the States. Okay. okay. So, so I wasn't really into this stuff. I was really, back at the time, I was really into computers. And uh, my mom was working for the United States military base in Jadat before. So she had uh, been working on their computer stuff for the Americans. So she was very techy. My mom was very techy. So she, she brought me my first computer when we first hit the market. And we're talking, you know, like Apple IIc and stuff like that. There was no hard drives. Right. So it's very old. And I, I basically just got excited. And I just started working on programming and coding, machine language and stuff. And then I got into other subjects like law. I was reading law books on my own and things like this. So I was very geeky kind of kid, not really anything to do with the occult. But I had certain experiences happen to me when I was a child that couldn't be explained. And I, I made the mistake of asking the teachers at my school to try to make sense of these experiences because I couldn't find references to them in books. And unfortunately for me, the, they took these kinds of experiences as a sign that I'm somehow evil. So that kind of worked against me in school. Right. And then one, at one point, out of the blue, I was visiting my aunt's house. She's, she's married to a rich Saudi, so her house is pretty big. Like, she has an elevator in her house. Wow. And, <laughs> and, and I'm not used to getting invited to parties. So I was there, and then this girl asked me to basically go chatter in private. And that was scary, because if you ever caught with a woman uh, in private, you could be punished. Because it's a very strict country. So yeah, men right. and women are supposed to be segregated. They're not supposed to be in the same space. At least not alone. At least if they're not related or married. So this was a, you know, she was a risky move asking to talk to me. So I was like, what do you want? Because I'm getting nervous. And she was like, well, the jinn sent me to you. And I was like, what? And she started talking about the jinn and, and my work with the jinn and all the things are going to happen and all the secrets I'm going to be exploring and reading and all the plans. And I was like, Oh, calm down here a minute. I, I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> like, hello. <laughs> Could you just tell me what this is about? Because I am lost now. I'm not even sure the gin are real. What? Well, what are we talking here? So Eventually, I just kind of like wanted to get out of there before her parents or my parents or any of the adults caught us and then I would be in trouble. So I left. And then I and then months later, as I'm trying to figure out what this girl was about, thinking, you know, maybe something is not right with her head or something. One of my classmates approached me and he's uh, he stopped off his class and he's like, I need to talk to you. And I was like, what do you want? It's going to talk to you behind behind, you know. After, after school <laughs> in private. And I was like, okay, we'll meet behind this building and you can chat me. So we were talking and he was like, the gin sent me to you. And I was like, oh my God, a second person. What is going on here? <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? He said, I was, I, me and my friends were doing the Ouija board. I was like, what's a Ouija board? And this is, and then we, we made contact with this gin. And he said, 
that my father is is uh, hexed by the sorcerer in Syria. I said, okay, and how can I help you? He said, the jinn said, you're the only one that can lift the hex. I said, me? He says, the jinn said, you're excellent at planetary magic. You know what you're doing with the planets and, and stellar magic, and you can remove this hex easily. And I was like, hello? <laughs> what? <laughs> What is going on here? What are you guys? What's going in the water? You're drinking. I said, I don't know. I don't do any magic. I don't know what you're talking about. And he was like, you guys are going to get me killed. Oh, my gosh. I was like, I don't want my head hanging from some seating, from, from some post out there in the, in the, right. you know, in the yeah. market. Don't do that to me. I was like, no. So at which point, I was like, okay, this is getting creepy. And I know my grandma had an encounter with the gym. So it was a very weird encounter. And basically she was, my grandmother doesn't know how, how to read and write. She's illiterate. Um, she's from Syria. And when she was sitting in her apartment in Beirut, somebody came knocking on the door of her apartment. And she was kind of like high floors up. It's an apartment building, which is the top floor. And they had a bunch of books. And my grandma was like, I cannot read. Don't sell me the books. And the seller was like, just take them for free. So my grandmother was like, well, why not? I, I cannot read. I might as well practice reading. So she took the books and then she opened the book and she started trying to read what's in the book because she, you know, she's illiterate. And immediately she looked up and there was this tall man in, in, her, in her room who was completely naked and he was like six, seven feet tall. And she said he was, he was black and his eyes were all red. She couldn't see any white in his eyes. Wow. And she basically screamed and fainted. And when they rushed in, they couldn't find anybody in the room and her, she was fainted. And then they looked at the books and there were magic books, ancient magic books, handwritten or something to do with the jinn. How so, interesting. And at that point, my grandmother decided that, that she's going to find religion really quick because she doesn't <laughs> want that gin to come back. <laughs> that would she be a little out. bit unnerving, I think. Yeah, she, she decided she's going to, okay, it's time to wear my hijab. I do my prayers five times a day. Put my cigarette back, put my party life away. I'm going to get very religious because what just happened? I don't want it to ever happen again. So she freaked out and it became an issue for her. So there was a bit of a history there. And then I found out just, you know, a few years, a few years ago, my mom confessed that my dad was into magic also. And he had all these books and things on the gym there in his, in his house. And he was going on retreats and he was part of a Sufi order and things like that. And I was like, what? Like, I had no idea. I thought he was, uh, he was you know, he's, before he died, all I knew was he's a rich businessman. I had no idea he has, has this background secret background of practicing magic and working with the jinn so it kind of so it kind of familiar around so anyway after this whole event with my classmates i decided i am going to um see if any of this stuff is real but not having any books at all uh on on the occult or magic or any training whatsoever i had no way of doing anything structured so I just decided to try it on my own and I kind of lit a candle, played some music in the background and started summoning on my own, just like completely out of my head with no, no experience, no background, no training. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm flailing up in the sky 
hoping to see if any of this stuff is real. And it wasn't long before I started having physical manifestations in my apartment or my, my wow. house. Wow. Wow. Uh, and I was seeing these shadow creatures running around and floating and doing all kinds of stuff. And my house was haunted. And my mom was scared to use the bathroom because she was having nightmares and seeing things that she, you know, in her, with her eyes, there was like, oh my, what's going on in my house? And it, it ended up being very freaky, right? Yeah. And, and Absolutely. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I guess the gin are real. <laughs> you know, they do exist. So that kind of confirmed it for me. And I, I started, then I got really interested because it became something for me to explore that wasn't being taught in school. Because, you know, okay, there's chemistry, there's physics, there's astronomy. I'm exploring all these sciences on my own, but nobody is exploring the jinn because, oh, that's just heresy and you will get executed and you will get killed. Right. And they went from being a general belief system that you accepted if you raised a Muslim that basically, oh, jinn are there, like angels are there. But when you go from belief to knowing, from believing to seeing suddenly a whole new world opens for you and you're like what's behind that curtain i want to see now what is it that i don't know about that nobody knows about that's behind that curtain so that began my magical journey basically and um when i was still in saudi arabia i had this um this sudden vision where I, basically when I'm talking vision, I don't mean like, you know, I close my eyes and I imagine things. Uh, what I mean by vision is I'm just talking to somebody and then I will like totally black out and there'd be nothing about white light. And then I wow. will see something and then I'll be back to where I was. When I'm seeing what I am seeing, it feels completely 100% real. Like I'm yeah, you, physically you, there. You have a 100% vision, vision. Yeah, 100% vision. And I don't have those very often, I swear. But I had this 100% vision, and in the 100% vision, I saw a bunch of people. And I didn't recognize these people, but I, I, met, you know, I saw their faces very clearly. They were like six or seven or eight of them. And um, at that time, the Gulf War happened, and then my mom was trying to get me to university, and she tried uh, Turkey, but she tried Lebanon first, but they blew up the, the student record at university, so that didn't work out. And eventually, at the end of the story, I got a call from my dad's company. And they're like, we, we, we found you at school. And I'm like, what school are we talking about? This is in, it's in America. And I was like, whoa, this is so far removed from my, from my world. Because, you know, I'm, I'm based in Saudi Arabia. I was like, oh, my God. Where in America, I said. They said, Kwakamunga. I'm like, is that even a word? <laughs> Did you just make this up? <laughs> like, is this real? Or is this, you're just screwing with me right now. What? <laughs> so it turns out there's a college there. Um, so it's you know in the outskirts of Los Angeles. So they, okay. they so I ended up going there in in Upland area, and as I was there, the first week I'm I'm there. I'm I'm. I realized there were occult shops and I was like, oh my God, there is actual occult shops and nobody's getting executed for reading about <laughs> this stuff. I got to go check it out. <laughs> so I went to check it out and I bought a whole bunch of books on Wicca and witchcraft and thing. And I was going through it at my house. I was feeling disappointed because it all kind of felt a bit 
shallow and empty. It didn't yeah. feel like there was a lot of real depth to any of it. And I was like, okay, this is disappointing. I was hoping for something more solid. But there was a flyer there and for an organization that was basically stuffing all the, the books with these flyers in the local area. And it was a Golden Dawn, basically, group. And when I went to that Golden, I went for their orientation. And when I, when I arrived at their orientation, I realized that the people I was seeing in the orientation were the same ones I saw in my vision. Wow. Not only that. But it turns out one of the people in the organization, one of the leaders of the organization, saw me in a vision as well before I arrived and did magic to facilitate my arrival into the group. That's crazy. That is awesome. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, wow, okay. And about how long ago was this? Uh, roughly? Uh, that was in 1991. 91, okay. Yeah, 91. Wow. And that had it had to have been mind-blowing. It was. It was kind of fun. What do you say uh, when someone tells you that? <laughs> well, you know, it's just what it was. I mean, it it just happened. So we're just gonna roll with it. So, yeah. so I signed up, and it was a you know, it was not always an easy journey, but I signed up and I got involved and I got involved with the group, and they began to have all kinds of hauntings in the group. Like, you know, um, toys will turn on and off and move by itself, TV on and off, all kinds of stuff you normally see in a movie like The Conjuring. Yeah. And, and all of that stuff. And I thought that was just, you know, a, a prospect of magical work. But I found out later that it just all started after I signed in and joined. That they never had these kind of things happen till I got involved. Interesting. And I was like, so I joined you and then the haunting started? <laughs> I was like, okay. And we're talking some serious events were unfolding at the time, not just like simple ghost stuff. Um, I, I, I think the scariest event that I encountered when I was there is I was asked to turn to lock the door when everybody was, because we were all living in one house. So I was asked to, to basically lock the door when everybody else was sleeping. So it was my duty. So I came in to lock the door and I locked it bolted it the different thing and at that point there was a loud knock on the door and then the door began to open and i was like what i i just locked this locked this door so i came back in and i looked opened the door i couldn't see anything so i closed it again locked it again bolted it again and then the loud knocking on the door started again and i was like okay this is getting creepy and then i started seeing the locks on the door move on their own and open. Wow. And I was like, That is okay. like a conjuring movie. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is how to get serious here, guys. So I, I, I walked upstairs and I woke everybody up and they all came downstairs and they were like, What are you talking about? I said, I I this has happened twice already. And they said, You should probably just unlock it properly. And the air pushed it. I said, No, no, this happened twice. So then they made sure the door was locked themselves. And then suddenly, the, again, the locking started to happen. Now they're freaking out. They're looking through the, through the door to see, and they couldn't see anything through the, uh, through the eye hole. And they were like, there's nobody out there. So they're all going into hyper, hyper mode, thinking maybe they're under attack by some spirit or something like that. When the knocking completely stopped, and it began to pound the glass patio door behind us. And the thing about that glass patio doors being glass, you can see right through it. And you can yeah. tell there is literally nobody there. 
that had to have had your adrenaline going by that time. Yeah, and, and the pounding was so heavy. You can almost see the patio door beginning to crack from the heavy pounding. So they freaked out at that point, and they just started doing all kind of magic for protection and things like that. And as they did that, there was a, a gunfire, and I guess our neighbor shot himself by accident, and then the pounding stopped. And everything just kind of came to a to kind of a quiet end. And that was one of many experiences like this that were happening. And it just progressed. The more I explored the gym, the more things started to happen. And the more things That's I strange. saw. Do you think, are they pranking or are they just trying to scare you? Why do you think they do these things? What do you think their reasons for doing these things are? Well, the thing about the gym is that there are so many. And they are... Uh, basically multitude so it's hard to tell the motivation of any particular one because they're very individual one gen can be very very gentle very caring very loving another one could be just a psycho so it's like dealing with people you cannot you cannot have a general you can say humans do this because you have to look at every individual and see why their motivation so i don't know what the motivation was at that point what they were trying to do or what their intention was or was it positive or, or not, I cannot say. But knocking is a method of tool of communication that the jinn sometimes use. It allows them to, to communicate using binary code. Yeah. It's a simple binary code. When we are sending out messages to outer space, we encode them in binary. So when the jinn is trying to communicate and, and they don't want to use vocal code, which they can do, they... They use binary, binary basically, the, by knocking. Now, so, so for the for the listeners that are really new to this, um, I know very little, but can you tell people exactly what they are? They, they're an energy being that parallel us pretty closely, or something, aren't they? The I, the reality of the jinn is a bit of a mystery, even to me, even after all these years of working with them, because they seem to kind of break through our understanding of physics. Like they, we have a very structured understanding of how the world works. Right. Based on actions and reactions and physics and gravity and everything. Now I'm not a physicist. I'm not going to pretend to be making some, some theory to explain it all. I know there's lots of, you know, occultists who like to kind of throw in, uh, physics ideas and philosophies out there to explain things, but I'm not going to do that because I don't know enough about physics. But I can tell you that if you have a, a, an understanding of how the world works and you add the jinn into the mix, that understanding suddenly collapses on you. For example, I, I'll give you an idea. The jinn are physical enough that they can literally punch you and throw you across the room. They can lift you up and down if they want. They can leave scratch marks on the wall if they like. They can even type on your keyboard if they wish. So they can do all of this. They can even block the light, but you still cannot see them. Wow. So it creates a bit of a confusion. And how you can block a light without having a solid object blocking and casting a shadow? How do you cast a shadow when you cannot be seen or invisible? How interesting. How interesting. What other stuff have you learned about these beings? And like, are you able to talk to them? Can you hear them? Uh, the jinn are, well, in the occult world, we're used to communicating with things because of the, um, 
the rise of psychology in the West and then the occult world kind of mixing with psychology, there has been a very universal acceptance that spirits are part of our minds or part of our subconscious. So when people try to communicate, they communicate with things in their minds. So they'll say, well, I just had a conversation with ISIS and ISIS said this, or I had a conversation with Lucifer and Lucifer said that, or I had a conversation with Mikhail and Mikhail said this. And it's like, when you narrow it down, these conversations are occurring in their mind. Okay. So uh, without, you know, uh, stepping on any, anyone's beliefs, most of the time, these things are subjective projections. The mind can give you whatever you want. If I want to close my mind, my eyes right now and have a conversation with Jesus, I can have a conversation with Jesus because the mind will give you that. Right. Now, does that mean that everything or every thought that or every, every communication you have in your mind is an illusion? The answer is no. Okay, so being able to figure out when something you're getting is you talking to yourself by using a, a, a projection, basically, versus an actual communication, that's the telepathy, it requires training and, and experience that's unfortunately not available. So for the most part, the jinn have a hard time communicating with people because they rely a lot on telepathy. So the next best things tend to be dreams. They can influence your dreams, so they can give you dreams. The third best thing they can do is just knocking. They can knock. And if they're really desperate and they really want to talk to you and no other means of communication work, they will speak. And you will hear them audibly. Interesting. But that's the least method of communication they use. Like It's not their number one method of communication. They right. prefer telepathy first. Now, with telepathy, gene telepathy is not the same thing as I am scrying in a mirror and having a vision or i am fucking i'm hearing a voice of a spirit or i'm going into a channeling session and letting the spirit speak through me with telepathy it is not easy to basically get into that kind of a headspace and it's very painful it feels like like you have nails being pounded into your head right first and i i call these things the gin headache I do. I call them the gin headache. Whenever I have a student and this is, I called, I did this evocation and all I can feel was the severe pressure in my head. Like somebody's trying to squeeze my brain. It's like very painful. I need to take medicine. It hurts so much. I say, <laughs> okay, you've just gotten the gin headache. <laughs> There's a symptom. Oh my goodness. And he says, what is that? Painful pounding headache. I said, that's them trying to talk to you. <laughs> wow. Um, so what is the difference? Like, I always wonder what is the difference between the spelling D J I N N and J I N N? I, I don't know. I think that's the Western thing adding the D there. So are they the same? It's just personal preference. Yeah. Because the gin don't even call themselves the gin for the most part. Do they have a term for themselves? I don't know. They have never really referred to themselves as anything but their first name. Um, we, I, I use the word gin and they kind of respond to that. It's uh -huh. sort of a title. They kind of live with it because it's sort of uh, taken by one of their, their elders, but one of their progenitors. But for the most part, they, you know, it's an Arabic word that just means something that is not seen. Okay. So it's uh, when you lose your mind, we say you're, you are majnoon. You are 
insane because your mind is not there, cannot be seen. The baby in the womb is called Janine because it cannot be seen. It's in the womb. So it's not really, you know, it, it's got used as a reference to the race because the Quran referred to them as jinn. Okay, I got you. So, that makes sense. So, so it got used there. Other cultures have called them by different names. I mean, they were called the Fae. They were called the Alps. Okay. They were called different names by different, by different cultures and different civilizations. The only thing we can say for sure is that they were here first and we came second. But they will tell you there was something before them here too. Now, in the groups, people are always so fascinated with this and there's just not good information. So what do you have to say about people that are curious about, like you hear people doing magic with them or what are the dangers or what do people need to know of the basics or what advice do you have or maybe common questions you get a lot? Well, the thing about it is that most people who practice magic with the jinn seem to treat them the same way you would treat any other spirit, basically in Western Grimoire. So they are just a replacement for the Goetia or replacement for you know, the angels, a replacement for other kind of gods, entities. And, and the principle always seems to be structured on this idea. I will go in the temple. I will follow step A to step 10, you know, step A to step Z. And then as I am proceeding with this ritual by following the instructions in the document or in the book, I will make a request. The request will come to pass. The request doesn't come to pass. I will try a different ritual or a different entity. Basically, that's not to be the general idea you know, that I see. And, you know, it, it's okay, uh, you know, as a, as a kind of like approach in the beginning, but for the, for the most part, it's, you know, it doesn't go very far. I mean, let's face it. We have references in the Goetia about these demons who can make you rich, mm-hmm. right? We have references about all these things. How many magicians in the last 100 years summoned any Goetic spirit and became rich? Zero. Good point. Okay, same thing with almost every other identification on these grammars. Zero. Now, why is it zero? Is it zero because the grimoires don't work or the spirits cannot give you these things? Or No, 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 no. It's because the whole philosophy was approached wrong. The whole, the whole thing was built on the wrong structural edifice. Uh-huh. Okay, so if I was sitting here and some dude called me up on the phone, and it says, I command you. Okay, who the fuck are you? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I command you to give me a billion dollars. And I'll be like, you know what? Just just bugger off. <laughs> I command you. Okay, you know what? How about get rid of this guy? Here, here's 10 bucks. Go. Here's 100 bucks. Go. Oh, I have 100 bucks. The ritual worked. <laughs> You know, and, and they don't think about how they are being perceived from the other side because they got this belief system built in that they are the masters of the universe. And it's kind of like a heliocentric spiritual philosophy. It's I am the center. You know, it's like I am I am the whole I'm the sun that shines in my universe and therefore everything obeys my will in the heavens on the earth. No, it does not. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but it does not. And you cannot come at this from a point of, I have zero experience, I'm just going to do this, and it's just going to work and expect immediate success. It doesn't work that way. I mean, think of how many magician does, for example, money spell. Almost none until they need the bills paid. Yeah. So 
when the bills paid, now money spells come out. Well, what makes you think it's going to work now? You haven't been practicing. <laughs> you waited until you're, until you're completely desperate and broke to pull out your stuff for money spells. That's why, ongoing, that's why I do ongoing money management. Yeah, or, or you know, you got a situation where, oh, I've, I've just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. I got to do healing magic. Now, yeah. have you done any healing magic over the last 50 years, 20 years, 10 years, one year? You just waited now and, oh, it doesn't work. Well, yeah, duh, where's your practice? People just wait into the last moment to pull the stuff and try and use it. And it doesn't work that way. So when you're working with the gin, you build a relationship first. You don't ask for anything. You just stay to learn, to explore, to know the civilization, to know their culture, to know them as people. And once you build enough friendships, once you build enough contact, the stuff works. And you don't even sometimes need to do complex rituals for it to work. Like uh, I think I wrote about this once in one of my books. I was sitting with my partner, Francis, and we were in this apartment and I was flipping through these books. And I was thinking to myself, in six months from now, I'm going to do an evocation to the King Badur. And I will communicate with the King Badur. And as I close the book, I hear Francis calling me from the bedroom saying, we have a visitor. So I go in the bedroom and she has this huge planter hanging from the ceiling that was spinning really fast like a pendulum. And I was like, whoa, I've never seen this thing move, let alone spin so fast. It's heavy. Wow. It's like, you know, 10 kilos. Yeah. 15 kilos and like the thing is heavy so i i said what happened did you like touch it spin it the wind she says no the windows are closed everything i just felt the presence and this thing started to kind of move on its own i said okay if the gin is here stop this from spinning and spin it the other direction counterclockwise and instantly it stopped moving and began to spin really fast counterclockwise wow so it was a physical sign that I am here. He didn't wait for six months. And Jin just showed up immediately saying, okay, you want, what do you need? I'm here right now. We don't need to wait six months to have this conversation. I can how talk to you right now. How interesting. So how did he know? He knew because the Jin keep taps on our minds. Somebody so heard my mind and then passed the message and he responded immediately. I was going to say, did it have something to do with you seeing that name and saying it as that would have gotten the attention? Yeah, yeah. I basically yeah. decided to, I mean, I do the evocation to the King Badur. And then a Jin resident who is probably assigned to keep an eye on me picked up my intentions. And then he passed the message over to his superiors. And his superiors said, oh, well, maybe he needs something. Send a guy over to see what he wants. Interesting. And the guy just showed up and said, I'm here. How can I help you? What do you need? <laughs> okay, everyone always hears about, but I never hear good information on the different races of jinn. Well, um, the thing is, there's a lot of confusion on this, especially when you're starting to look up on the web. Yeah. The amount of misinformation is just unbelievable. There is. It's terrible. And um, a, a large part of it has to do with People taking advantage of linguistic differences. So they say, well, there's the Ifrits, and then there's the Marids, and then there's this, and then there is that. And it's like, look, we don't really have a lot of literature on the different races of the jinn. What we do have are people classifying the jinn based on temperament, hmm. based on residency. So if you go and you see, you see jinn hanging around in, you know, flying in the air, 
you think you're seeing jinn flying in the air. We see these jinn are flyers, tayarin, they fly. If we see jinn who are residing on the ocean, we say they are watery jinn, they reside in the ocean. If you see jinn who are basically horrible, doing all kind of harm, and you say, well, these are shayateen, they're demons, they're doing all kind of harm, and so on. So we, we just have these kind of temperamental descriptions, right? Okay, we just generalized categories, it sounds like. Yeah, and we just kind of have these general categories. And then they, they end up being classified somehow as races. They're not. They're just okay. individual categories. That makes now, sense. Now, from my experience on a personal level, I tend to classify Jen as, this is my own classification. Huh? This has nothing to do with the way they classify themselves. I classify Jen as pre and post-human. Okay. Or old kingdom and new kingdom. Because they seem to be of different temperament. Hmm. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean they're different races. They're just completely different cultures. Like old school and modern almost. Yeah, like old school and modern. The old school jinn were the jinn who were residing in their world or earth, wherever the jinn world is uh, or planet was. Because I'm not really sure they were here on earth, particularly. I think they came down on earth. I suspect their location was really Mars. Hmm. You know, this is my own my own theory. I haven't confirmed it 100%, but I think the Jin culture, the Jin civilization was on Mars and it got destroyed and it came down to Earth, a second home. That's my own theory. That's not, again, it's not backed by any evidence because I don't have 100% proof of any of it. They found some really weird things on Mars to suggest that maybe something was there once. So... Yeah, this is just my own theory because they yeah. seem to have a lot of affinity for planet Mars, the gym. And um, and then there's a reference in the Quran for when the invasion happened. And the way the jinn described what was going on was almost a third person reference. Hmm. Like in the story in the Quran, it talked about this is this is where religion and you know and scientific kind of thinking sometimes end up clashing, but it can be useful to look at it from a scientific perspective. From a religious perspective, the Quran said the jinn used to ascend up to the heavens. And they would put listening posts on the heavens that were hidden and seen. And they would listen to the heavens on this listening post. Now, a religious imam would tell you that they would go to the heavens, meaning some spiritual reality. And then they would try to listen to God and his throne sitting on his chair. And hear what God's counsel on in paradise or heaven is doing. Okay. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is they used to travel to space and they had radio telescopes. Hmm. Because that's what we do. We go to space and we put listening posts. Yeah. The heavens doesn't have to be in this context some spiritual dimension. It could just be space, the galaxy. That's interesting. Yeah. So they're, they're putting these listening posts that were hidden, meaning they didn't want to be attacked by a force that they consider to be hostile. So they were feeling threatened. Hmm. Now the Quran says, and, and then the, the jinn says, a piece in the Quran, after they did build these uh, listening posts, is that they saw an army, an army in the sky or an army in the heavens approach. Literal Asuka, the word was used, Asuka, you know, army, military. Military right. force showed up. Mm-hmm. And then, or Jews, like, like an army showed up. And then, the jinn response to this army was, we do not know if it was intended good or bad for the people on earth or for earth inhabitants. If this army's intention was good or bad. Well, 
what do you do when you see UFO showing up on the sky? If you have, if you have a thousand UFOs in the sky, your first question is, are they friendly or are they hostile? Yeah, you'd probably be stunned, really. <laughs> it will stunned, and then you'd be asking, are they coming in peace or not? Yeah, do I need so to So the jinn didn't seem to know if this army was peaceful or not. It had no idea what was going on. They were they seemed to be shocked to have seen this army show up. Mm -hmm. And the first thing this army did was destroy the listening posts. Hmm. And then they said, we don't know if they intended good or bad of Earth. So they're talking about Earth as a separate location. Interesting. They weren't saying, we don't know if it's good or bad for our home, for our family, for us. If we're safe, if we're in good, they're just observing Earth. And they're wondering if this is going to be what the intentions for Earth is hmm. when this army showed up. If they plan to do something good or bad on Earth. Okay. So we know at that point that the story kind of ends in the Quran. With, and then we have the creation of mankind and the establishment of mankind and the whole story that you've heard. And the jinn being playing a role in the whole like uh, demonic counterpoint and you know as an enemy of mankind and the story just goes on and on in the Quran. But if we go back in actual narrative and then we look at other narratives around the jinn, we find out that the invading army destroyed the jinn civilization. This is disclosed not in the Quran but in the apocryphal text of Islam that this invading army wiped out the jinn, kicked them all out, genocided them. Wow. Except for a few. And some of those few sided with the invading army and were also responsible for most of the genocide that happened to their own people. And then after this genocide finished and the, the war was complete, mankind was created. And then the jinn guy who was overseeing the genocide of his own people and then was aligned with this invading army said, wait, I thought you're going to give me Earth as a new home, that I'm going to be in charge of Earth. You're giving it to this other species that you just created, not, not me. I'm worthy of being in charge of the planet. And this created the whole Satan schism. This, became this, this being became identified as Satan in our religious cultural viewpoint. So one hypothesis here is that he, having seen the impending destruction of his civilization, decided that instead of fighting the invading army, he's going to side with them and then been given a new home for his people, and he'd be the new king of his people. He will build a new civilization for the jinn on this other planet called Earth. But instead, this invading army decided, no, they're going to put their own creation or their own species there in charge of this planet and not him, creating an animosity between him and the new existing species, humans. Wow. So this invading army gets identified as angels in our belief system. That's interesting. That's really interesting. See, I never, I've never heard any of this. Right. So these angels appear in the heavens with an army, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So looking at the ancient Sumerian text, we hear about the Anunnaki having came down and created man to build and construct and serve. In the Quran, it says we created man to serve. So the human beings were created as a service or a serving species by God. But how do we identify God? Who's our identifier for God? The angels. The angels are the one who tells us about God, who tells us about, who send human emissaries around and reveal the books and reveal the text. So the angels are the one 
delivering all these messages to us about God, about existence. And even in the ancient Sumerian religious beliefs, the angels who were known back then by other names, which is actually the Igigi, gave and passed over to them a lot of their own religious and cultural civilizational prospect. So then if we are looking at this now, we see that the angels or the Igigi, or another term for more that I like to use as watchers, came from outside the solar system, destroyed the existing civilization of the jinn, which could very well have been on Mars, wiped them completely out because they considered a threat to their plan, set up the human race, and set up Earth as a colony. Okay, I've heard a little tiny sliver of that. So yeah, okay, I get it. So with us being a colony, they don't need to manage us the way, because if they're interstellar beings and they can travel between different galaxies and stars, they don't need to sit down and, you know, build like uh, edifice to themselves. They can just create the colony, provide the instructions, provide the tools, provide the means, and just kind of manage from afar. Yeah. And the jinn who sided with them in the initial invasion decide, became the demons of our cultural religious edifice. Hmm. Interesting. Because what was Iblis, who was siding with them in the beginning, who stood by them during the whole war? His other name became Shaitan or Satan. Okay. So now all the jinn who ruled with them in the beginning are now refugees on Earth living with the humans whom they really don't like. So what ended up happening? We ended up calling these beings through methods like Goetia or whatever and trying to communicate and ask for their help. So I think you can see the irony in all this. Yeah. Yeah, this is fascinating. Right? And we, and, and we wonder why the angels are not always answering our prayers because we are identifying them in a completely mythological, cosmic, universal level where we expect that every time we pray, an angel is there you know, recording our prayer and sending it to God and it comes like Santa Claus and his helpers. But it's not. It's really three different civilizations. One civilization that's extremely advanced, spans galaxies, or, or maybe even, I don't know really how far they span. I'm just throwing galaxies here through the word. But they're enough to be able to colonize stars and planets, basically. And then you have us. Mm-hmm. And then you have our cousins, the jinn, which is sort of like hanging around. <laughs> I This is fascinating stuff. I, I've always wondered, and I've known that something had happened where their civilization got destroyed, but I've never really heard beyond that. So this is wonderful. What have, like, one thing that I've seen people talk about a lot, and maybe this goes hand in hand with them not liking us, you hear about binding them to stuff so that they serve you. Does that just piss them off? Or what? Yeah, I mean, it just pisses them off. How does that off. even work? I mean, how could, how could a person bind something that's like an energy being or something that's more powerful in that sense? How could it, it doesn't be? work. Not really. Okay. It's the same thing with the magic circle. It doesn't do anything. Does it just insult them and they thump us? Or, I mean, no, what, just, what they could probably just laugh at us. I mean, when, when they were talking about magic circles in, uh-huh. in the ancient grimoires, they're absolutely nothing like magic circles in modern grimoires. Yeah. When you erected in Arabic books magic circles and you set up the circle, you basically, there's two kinds. They're the magic circle for, 
for protection or the magic circle against the jinn. Okay. The magic circle against the jinn consisted of various circles of metallic objects, nails, huge nails. Hmm. So they weren't relying on necessarily, you could add divine names and prayers if you wanted, and some of them did that. But the key to success was the nails, because they believed the nails would block the jinn from coming too close to you. Interesting. They don't like iron, so they, they were okay. using iron as a weapon. Okay. So that, makes sense. that was the whole point of that magic circle was iron. So if you're putting a piece of fabric with nice symbols on it and sitting on it, that's not going to help you. Now, the magic circle for protection was not just protection against the jinn, but protection against thieves, animals, and things like that. And that one worked how? When the enemy approached, they would perceive an illusion of a chasm. Hmm. So they feel like they cannot cross the chasm and they will just turn back. So if okay. the lion approaches, he will see what looks like a big hole and he will walk back. If the thief okay. is approaching, he will see this chasm and walk back, or a different kind of illusion. Yeah. It was an illusion magic to create a barrier. Okay. Now, if, if you buy one of those magic circles from the Lesser Key of Solomon and put it and sit there, a lion is just going to step right over it. Yeah. It just eat you. You'd be like, oh, okay, I don't know what this is. and just eat you. <laughs> so magic circles have, you know, like I said, a lot of our magical technology these days are just become watered down cosplay. Yeah. And it's not the way the ancients were looking at it or wanted it to work or how it worked for them thousands of years ago. Now it's just cosplay. Yeah. And people are happy with it because it's more exciting than their boring job at the office. <laughs> so I, one thing that people are probably out there wondering with all this is like there's one book that came out a couple years ago by Corwin Hargrove about the gin. I know yeah, you've got some... It, sorry. I know you've got some books, but I've never had the um, fortune of being able to read them. But what would a person need to know if they wanted to go to the gin for magic? What kind of things would you ask them for? And is there an etiquette involved? Um, well, the first said, thing you would do is ask whether you want the old kingdom or the new kingdom. Okay. If you want to work with the gin who were there before the invasion, or the jinn who basically sided with the invasion at the time. Now, if you take a look at the majority of grimoires in, in Arabic and English, they really are all belonging to a couple of jinn kings or a couple of tribes of the jinn. And like if you take, for example, um, if you take the book on Abramel and the Mage, it lists all these demons in Abramel and the Mage. The majority of these demons in Abramel and the Mage go under the auspices of the demon king Amaimon. If we take a look at Goetia, the majority of the demons in Goetia are under the auspices of a Maimon. Okay. So you're seeing all this. Well, who's a Maimon? A Maimon is really, you drop the A, ah, and then you have Maimon, which is the Jin king mentioned in ancient texts, one of the one of the elders of the new kingdom. Okay. Okay. So you're you're centered on this whole idea. Now, another reference. For example, we have references to the red dragon. In the New Testament and the Bible being Satan, etc. And all the ancient evil, this red dragon, ancient evil. Dragons are associated with the jinn kings as an emblem. Mm -hmm. they, the jinn use snakes for an emblem and their kings use dragons for an emblem. So the talking snake in the garden who walked on his feet was a dragon. And that's a reference to the jinn king. So the jinn king was the one talking to Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. 
How interesting. Because of the alignment between the Jin Kings and between the, the Watchers, the Elohim, the invading army that came in. So that ancient red dragon is a title for one of the powerful Jin Kings, again, in the New Kingdom. Abu Maharaj al-Ahmar. Okay, his last name is the Red, the Red King, the Red Dragon. So that's his label. His, his banner is a red dragon. So in a lot of ways, you're really, for the most part, if you're using modern texts or even medieval texts, you're staying within the context of those two kings, the Maimun and the Ahmar kingdoms. Right, okay. And, and they have some very powerful jinn under them. They can do all kinds of things. Like I said, you can appeal to these kings directly, but they don't really just answer you directly. Like if you were to set up a temple and do a prayer to Maimun, a Maimun, whatever, uh, he's not going to be the one responding to you. He will send a resident jinn or a low-level jinn who will show up and say, hey, I'm a Maimun, how can I help you? He will, he will refer to himself by the title of the person sending him, but okay. it's not the real Maimun showing up. And you, so you got to learn to navigate between what's identifying themselves when they show up and who's sending them because it's not always the same. Interesting. So they have definitely have the hierarchy. They what have a hierarchy, of, right? Yeah. What yeah. kinds of things have you asked them to help you with or in your experience, what what would a person go to them for, ask them help with? Um, well, um, when I worked with the old kingdom or had contact with that, sorry, the new kingdom, the one uh, under that, my requests were, were kind of funky. I mean, I, I, at one point, I was on an airplane with a friend, and I was talking about the jinn, and he wasn't sure he believed the jinn were real or what powers they possessed. So I called on one of the jinn, and I asked him to change the temperature of the, of the airplane, heat it up. And he heated up the airplane. And at first, my friend was like, well, this could be placebo effect. You told me you're going to heat up the airplane. I'm feeling hot. Maybe it's placebo effect. Right. And then the pilot came on the on intercom and said, um, my apologies to all the passengers. It's malfunction in our airplane. We don't identify the problem. And uh, the temperature has risen five degrees. We don't know exactly what's <laughs> going on. Wow. And then I said to the gin, lower the temperature, bring it back to normal. And he brought it back to normal. And then within a second or two, the guy showed up uh, on the intercom. The captain said, well, we don't know what happened, but the problem is gone. So it's very inconvenient. Hopefully it doesn't come back. <laughs> that is That is amazing. They can they can do some crazy stuff I've heard, but um I you know, you don't know what's what you're reading online is just someone making something up and writing about it for drama and what isn't. Um so it's really awesome to talk to someone with direct experience, you know. What do you have to tell people about the books you've written? How do they find your books? Well, my books are available on my website, um, for the most part. I have some on Amazon that you can Google and research. A lot of beginners ask me which, which of my books to start with, and I, I really don't have a, a very solid answer. I recommend Magic That Works as a good starting book for everybody. you know. But for the most part, I, I tend to just write my own research. So if, if I am working on a new subject or a new research with the gin, I will just put it into a, a course and share it. And then sometimes it, unfortunately, not everybody can immediately use it because people come at different levels. Right. right, And that's a side effect of the way I work, because I don't tend to rehash. I don't tend to, um, to copy and duplicate a lot. So I would, if I put in a technique in one course, it's only going to be in that course. It's not going to be in any other course. Uh -huh. You know, I don't, I, because I'm, 
when I'm writing, I'm, a lot of people write because for them, it's a, you know, it's a source of income, which, you know, even for me, sure it is. But I don't approach it as a business, as a source of income. I approach it as I'm a researcher and I want to share this information with everybody. And, That's you know, awesome. I'll just put, it, just put it out there. And then I figure if somebody needs help, I will just help them at that point. And I will just, I do this for free. I help people for free online or when they message me, whatever. And I just kind of guide them for free. Oh, nice. Now you've had some stuff I've seen online and um, here again, I'm not very knowledgeable. So maybe you can just touch on this a little bit. You've had little boxes or something that you've worked on or uh, discussed projects with or gin boxes or something. What are those? People hear about them, but nobody knows what they are. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They look cool. I <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, well, what what happened is I have a very close friend of mine who works with me on various magical projects, and he basically ended up getting sucked with me into this whole gin world, and um, ended up becoming my main manufacturer for making stuff. Is that because I'm not very good with tools, so. So it ended up basically making rings for people, um, gin rings and things like that. Basically, I will design the I will design the um, the item based on instructions I got from the gin. I will ask him to build me a prototype, and then after that, he can sell as many copies of it as he wants. Interesting. So I get my prototype for free, and he gets to make money selling it to whomever else wants the same copy as mine. Oh, okay. Because, you know, I, I cannot make it myself. I don't have the talents. Yeah. So. What, what, do you mind me asking, what does a gin ring do? Does it help you contact them or does it help you? Um, is it like a, like a point yeah, of contact? Sort of, it's it's like a point a, of, the ones I use are sort of a point of contact. I mean, okay. uh, it just magnifies my telepathy and allows me to um, reach them faster, communicate faster so that oh, they don't wonderful. have to wait. It makes it easier to send the signal. And easy for them to send a signal back. Okay. And do, what do the boxes do then? Or did you get that off the ground? Or what did you discover with it or not? Okay. Well, the box idea kind of came in when he said he was bored doing <laughs> uh, rings. And he says he's fed up. He's been doing rings for 20 years. He's fed up making rings. He wants to make something new. And at that point, a just showed up. Popped up for whatever reason, decided to come up. I guess he was listening in on the conversation and said, "How about I give your give you guys how to open the gateway to Harut and Marut?" And I was like, "What?" Now the story of Harut and Marut is the same as the biblical story of Enoch and the Watchers. Basically, they are the imprisoned Watchers for some reason that were who had given mankind ancient knowledge including sorcery and magic and tools and weapons and stuff and apparently in the book of enoch they were imprisoned azaziel and all those guys you know they were or you know they were all imprisoned so i was like no we are not opening a gateway to the to harut and marut because i don't know what's on the end under the door i'm not going to open it but my friend got excited he's like oh i, I want to do this i want to do this i said how about i give you something better he said, what? I said, how about I give you the gin box? He said, what's that? I said, let me give you the design. So I gave him the gin box. And it took him a long time to make one, really. It took him many months. 
So basically, the gin box works as a magnified variation of the ring of Solomon to create contact with the jinn. Uh -huh. The outside of the box is designed the names of various ifrits or jinns who are connected with King Solomon at the time. So when you take a look at the Arabic manuscripts, you will see a reference to the ring of Solomon. And then there's a reference to various names of uh, new kingdom jinn ifrits, including the one that raised the temperature of the airplane and um, other ones as well. And they're supposed to go on your ring. So I put them on the box, outside the box. This kind of beautiful design. And then on the inside of the box, I built in uh, mirrors. And then with the mirrors, I also located various crystal pyramids. So all the crystal pyramids were shooting at each other and then reflecting up all the mirrors. Interesting. Creating a kind of a vortex. And then in the, in the bottom was another glass pyramid. And in that glass pyramid was another crystal pyramid that was shooting at the ceiling which was also another mirror and it kind of reflecting from there as well. So it became a kind of a vortex of crystals inside with mirrors inside this box that was covered with names of various jinn. And the idea was to use it to help create a manifestation box. So if I ask the jinn to give me a ruby, he can put it inside that box. He can manifest it inside that box. But I, I found out that it actually works very well in calling the jinn. So if I put the jinn name, and I lay it on the bottom of the mirror, and I see, which is on the lid, and I close the box, and I put my hand on top of the box, and I call the gin. It works as a very quick invitation. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I needed to just kind of find a cutoff spot about halfway through, so I picked one. And yeah, you know what? We're going to be back same time same place for a little bit more of that gin and tonic and we're going to finish up our discussion with Nineveh at that time so you don't want to miss it and until then keep a smile on your face keep a bounce in your step keep practicing your magic and by all means don't forget to tune in next week catch you then bye bye Thanks for sticking around after the show. Oh my gosh, so many changes and so many things to tell all of you about. We are officially in rerun mode. What does that mean for you? Well, hey, if you listen on your favorite podcast app, nothing is going to change. You will always be able to go back and listen to your favorite episodes and guest spots anytime you want, just as you always have. Again, nothing will change for those of you that use your favorite podcast app. Next, the website will change a little bit. It will change to www.podpage.com slash random illusions, or you can listen directly off the host site, www.randomillusions.buzzsprout.com. Links are now in every episode show notes. Check it out. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash radio. Twitter.com slash GOST radio. If you love YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to the Random Illusions Podcast YouTube channel, the GOST radio YouTube channel, and TikTok. 
Don't forget to follow us there. Links are down in the show notes. Exclusively for the listener base of Random Illusions, Tim and I are going to continue our coffee.com divinations. Just let us know if you want a rune reading by Tim or a tarot reading by Shasta and what your question is. Give us about two business days and we will respond with a thorough answer to your question, giving you some insight and maybe a little inspiration as well. If you would like to follow Tim and I as we jump into our new leadership roles and all of the new projects we are presenting and working on, don't forget to hit us up. Facebook, privately, Tim Cheesebrow, Shasta Michaels, Random Illusions, or just shoot us an email at magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, at randomillusions.com. And we will send you links as to where you can keep tabs on all of our future endeavors and adventures. And hey, you may want to get involved yourself. You never know. All right. Keep your eyes and ears peeled. We will be announcing when we will be back. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. <laughs>